Walking Each Other Home is an exploration of the many ways we cultivate wisdom, compassion, and love in our lives. Mirabai Bush talks with some of her many diverse friends about what they're learning now from their spiritual paths and practices. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Mirabai. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Walking Each Other Home. Yes. <laughs> Our guest today is Larry Brilliant. Um, and I'm going to say this because not everybody in the world knows you almost. Um, but Larry is an epidemiologist, a I like this technologist, philanthropist, and author of a fabulous book, Sometimes Brilliant, which I just reread and loved again. Um, and work uh, from 73 to 76 with the World Health Organization, helping to successfully eradicate smallpox. And, and with Maharaji. Yes, that's coming up. Yes, yes, yes. Larry yes, was, yes, yes. Larry was the founder of Save a Foundation with his wife, Deirdre, and, and other medical professionals Talking as well each as... each other home. Walking each other and home. others. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about you then. Except that we have a joint bio as well. We were both in India with Maharaji. We worked together on Seva for many years. We were at Google at the same time when you were the head of Google.org, their philanthropy, and I developed search inside yourself. And we have loved and mentored each other's children. And uh, we have both provided yes. a home in Michigan and Massachusetts and California for our wandering friend around us. And I think there are probably 25 other yes. links, but oh. that's what I thought of. <laughs> and only 25? <laughs> <laughs> So, my dear Larry, welcome. And I thought as I was doing this, we, I had to start a whole podcast series in order for us to have an hour to talk to each other. Here it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so how are you? <laughs> in a word. I love Mirabai. Okay. <laughs> I love Mirabai. That's my word. Oh, it's, a, it's a good one. So I wanted to talk today about, good. Good. about spiritual health and public health. The relationship between our inner lives and compassionate action. I recently interviewed a friend for this podcast, uh, Linwood Heyman. He taught public health at University of Michigan at Flint during the Flint water crisis. And now he teaches at Morgan State in Baltimore. He's a really great guy. But he talks about the importance of love in public health, unconditional love, agape, Maharaji kind of love. How if the decision makers who had loved those Flint children, they never would have let that lead rise in, in, the, in the water, and how if there'd been enough love in society for communities of color, we, they wouldn't have died at such a greater rate from COVID. So 
um, since one of the few things Maharaji said to us was love everyone, he gave you more specific instructions, but um, I just thought we might play with that interconnection. But I wanted you to start, at least in brief form, telling the story of Maharaji sending you to be part of the smallpox campaign, because I realized that most of you've told that story many times and most everyone knows it, but there are people listening to this podcast who were not even born in the 70s when we were in India and you were ending smallpox. That was kind of, when I realized that it was kind of amazing to me. So maybe you should um, tell that story. <laughs> well, I think love is good. <laughs> love is good <laughs> and a good place to begin. <laughs> You know, I think um, if we, you were asking a little earlier, um, we're hinting, I think, a little earlier, is public health inconsistent with love? Um, and I, I do think that there's a challenge sometimes where an equity lens, which is in a way a kind of operationally operationalizing love, an equity lens is something sometimes different than an epidemiological lens, and they sometimes uh, they sometimes are congruent and the same thing. Sometimes they're different. Um, they're both really important, but at this very moment, they're identical. And and by that I mean, we will undoubtedly have millions of people around the world who will not get vaccinated in the next couple or even several years. Millions and billions of people who will then be vulnerable to COVID. And as a consequence, there'll be billions of homes for novel variants and scariances, as the word is unfortunately mm -hmm. being used now. Uh, to reside in the, the people who are not vaccinated, not protected. Those viruses, if you think of them, can be hundreds of billions or trillions in each person. If you multiply hundreds of billions or trillions by the billions of people who won't be vaccinated, and then you think of how many times they can mutate as they replicate and how many vari variants will then ping pong back into our communities of wherever we are. This is a moment that is rare because the absolute most selfish decision to protect yourself and your family and the absolute most altruistic decision to help people far away who are of a different color, those two things are the same right now. The good and the greedy mm -hmm. are the same. That's that's a moment that we should really think about because it it kind of opens up the whole thing. Um, if you're thinking about, you know, uh, iron or lead in the water and flint and you're living far away, it's sometimes just passes through your screen as if it's 
not you that's affected. Yeah. Robert Frost, wonderful and poignant about the little boy who lost his arm to a saw. And then Frost says, little less nothing gone, no more to build on there. And they, since they were not the one affected, turned and went about their business. Mm. Those kinds of things. That, that mm. In this moment, we're all the little boy. Our arms are all cut. Um, and a unvaccinated uh, little girl in Bola Island, where the last case of smallpox occurred, uh, who today can get COVID and tomorrow incubate a, a variant and it comes back into Boston or San Francisco, should remind us that it doesn't have to be 1960s or 70s Kumbaya or sitting with Maharaji in a Himalayan ashram. And to motivate us, in, in this case, we can't be safe until all of us are safe. It's not corny or silly to say we're all in it together. Mm. Wherever it this disease exists, it exists here. And I, I you know, for me, you, you said that Maharaji gave us all instructions that, you know, sub-ep, we're all one, to love everyone and serve them, to feed everyone. All of those generic lessons, and maybe he gave each one of us a kind of subheading of a, <laughs> a specific kind of yoga that was unique to our personalities and right for our karma, our dharma. And, and for me, he told me to help go join the World Health Organization, which seems such a preposterous idea. And so out of my reach, so to speak. No, not just out of my reach. <laughs> and yet uh, I got to participate in global eradication of smallpox and to see the very last case of wild smallpox in the world, a little girl named Rahima Banu. Um, living on Bola Island in the Bay of Bengal, Bangladesh. And, and when she was healed, when the, her scabs fell off and the virus in them died, that was the end of an unbroken chain of transmission that went back 10,000 years or more, mm -hmm. at least to Pharaoh Ramses V. We know that he had that same virus. And so when that ended, you think about that, how many billions of people got smallpox, how many kings and queens and emperors and celebrities were killed by it. It didn't matter what your color was, your race, your religion, your age, your gender, your wealth. Hmm. And this new pandemic is different, but it has so many of those same moral lessons in them. That So that's what I think of. When I think of love and public health, they're just different words for me for the same thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That is beautiful. I agree. <laughs> really. Uh, you know how over the years we've like listened to what Maharaji told us and it means something different, you know, every time we find ourselves in a different situation. But it just feels this time like everything he said was so direct and clear and simple. So, Subek, we are all one. We are all connected and love and serve all of us. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Um, what what have you um learned this year about you know about yourself and about about other humans? Just in general, I feel like I I learned a lot. Some of it's subtle, but um, what have you been thinking that you learned? Since being with Maharaji? No, no, this year, um, since co- I, during I COVID. George and I are really lucky to stay married. Because, well, I was going to say being married for 50 years with Gurdjie, we both realized we were lucky because we're unusual in the people who are around Maharaji to be married yes, for 50 yes. years. <laughs> I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty darn glad about that. <laughs> Not that it's unusual. I'm just glad that we're married 50 years. Um. Well, it's it's it, it it is. So the first vaccination was given in 1797 uh, in uh, Berkeley, England, outside of uh, Bristol, and the first anti-vax program be- c- campaign oh. probably began about six months later. Really, really. <laughs> I mean, it's like. Yeah, uh, yeah. Vaccine, you know, take cow pus, the pus, the udder of a cow, put it, get it from the finger of a milkmaid, and and inject it into a child, and send them out and to be exposed with smallpox. Who wouldn't want to get vaccinated under <laughs> circumstances <laughs> like that? <laughs> I mm. think we might all we might all have been anti-vaxxers if someone came around saying cow pass cow pass let me put yes. it in your arm yeah um, with, a, with a bird but how far we've come i mean uh with oh what, what I, did you say did i i read that you said that they used yeah. bird bones they uh, hollowed out dried out bird bones to inject with uh, well, even earlier in China and in Africa, um, in Pop- what is now Pakistan, they would take uh, uh, the longest bones of a bird's legs, maybe a, uh, a herring or so- heron or something like that, and they would hollow it out, and then they would dry out crusts of smallpox to make it into a powder, and then they would blow it into people's noses. China, they did a lot of that. It was called variolation. That was before... Uh, vaccination. Mm. Vaccination came from cows, a disease that cows had called cowpox. And the name in Latin for uh, cow is vaca. Oh, right. So to give somebody a vaccination is technically to give them a cow. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, uh, it's one of the reasons why there was, think about uh, anti-vax, how much anti-vax there was in India when in order to make cowpox, cows were killed. Oh, right. That's a pretty understandable reason why they were much resistant to the vaccine. Wow. Until it it was clear that the method we were using was working and and we eradicated it. Then all the Indian religious leaders became our advocates. and, And really that was, we couldn't have eradicated smallpox in India without the mullahs, without the uh, the imams, mm. without the Buddhist priests and the Catholic fathers, all the 
you know, wonderful religious community, but it took us a while to understand that. No, I would say right now that the um, vaccines that we have are magical. And, and let me just expand a little bit on that. Uh, when you and I were at Google, people, the engineers would frequently say that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And you just left that. <laughs> of course, that's true. Any sufficiently advanced technology, you can't tell the difference between that and magic. These new vaccines are indistinguishable from magic. Hmm. I mean, to go from a, a brand new disease to vaccines and vaccination campaigns around the world in one year, it's, it's just amazing. Um, and all three of the ones that are currently available will save you from being admitted to an ICU, from it being admitted to a morgue. <laughs> They're all really good vaccines. And that's all in such a short period of time that um, it's magic, I think. I do want to ask you, um, I know you, you've been named to Time Magazine's commission on thinking about the next 10 years and what needs to change, what needs to happen. And I, I just wonder what, what changes do we need to go through as a culture during the next 10 years? Do we, how do we um, re-examine who we are or how do we overcome these big divisions in the culture? Um, how do we awaken moral imagination? What are you thinking about in terms of, you know, what you know about what we can do during the next 10 years in order to avoid terrible situations again? We're, we're talking now about politics. Why don't we take them both? We'll talk about the outer. Okay. I mean, uh, uh, outer first, because it's easier. Um, you can't have a democracy where each vote does not count of equal weight. You, you can't. And, and uh, in the United States, um, one party has a, a, a permanent minority um, because it is self-interested. And uh, probably there are 5 or 10% fewer Republicans in the country than there are Democrats. So their strategy is to get elected with 35% of the population and prevent 15% of Democrats from voting by gerrymandering, by racially insensitive laws, by making it incredibly difficult for poor people to register. That means there will always be minority rule. And in a democracy, minority rule in the long run always ends badly. So we, we need to understand that and do that. that that's got to be issue number one. Everybody gets to vote and everyone's vote counts equally. It, it already won't ever happen because of the way the original founders created the Senate, which is a, a way to yeah. reward land ownership rather than headcount. So that, that to me politically remains a, a problem for the long term. Every 
four years from now on, uh, the Republicans will lose the presidency by an increasing number of votes in, in terms of the popular vote, but they will always be able to get uh, have a chance at putting together a minority of votes, but a majority of um, electoral college votes. So until that's fixed, um, the problems that we face in that regard will continue. But you're really interested in spiritual changes in the next mm-hmm. 10 years, <laughs> personality changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I had hoped that this pandemic, which every epidemiologist that I know and that you know, has been expecting, predicting, uh, even prophesizing um, for the last decades. I had hoped that when it happened, something different and better would happen than is happening. And and I, I just want to go on a little bit about that if I could. I think after the Second World War, uh, when people all over the world saw the skeletons coming out of the concentration camps, and they saw the mushroom clouds over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the firebombing of Dresden, the huge number of casualties. It was almost as if each person individually said to themselves, we've looked over the precipice, we see the abyss, we see the hellfire, we're not going to go there again. We've been to the edge. And there was like a compact, an agreement that happened without a meeting and without social media. And, And that agreement was, let's give up a tiny bit of our sovereignty, our personal sovereignty, and our country's sovereignty, and create organizations that, at a global level that will make sure we don't ever have a war or, or a demon arise like Hitler again. We, we had that agreement. So we created the World Health Organization, the United Nations Security Council, the ILO, the FAO, UNICEF, the World Bank, Bretton Woods. You, you think about what happened shortly after the Second World War. And that that decision was taken, it seemed, everywhere all at once. And it became the glue that held us together. It held together the otherwise strong centrifugal forces that pull us apart, selfishness, greed, ego. Mm. But we had these organizations that kept us together. I think today, with rising nationalism, racism, and a fear that the countries are all being taken over by immigrants, all these, uh, all these nationalistic kind of governments, instead of having centripetal forces bringing us together, we have centrifugal forces pulling us apart in Hungary, in Brazil, in the United States, for a while in the UK, certainly in Turkey and Russia and China. It's very difficult to fight a pandemic when every nation behaves as if they are the only ones that matter. But it's not only a pandemic 
that's harder. So this is sort of operationalizing what Maharaji said to us when he said, Kam, Krod, Lob, Moha. Those are centrifugal forces. They pull us apart from each other. Love is a centripetal force. It brings us back together. And it's very hard to deal with climate change, nuclear weapons, <laughs> water, uh, hunger, famine, pandemics, unless we are brought together. And, 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 and that's, that's sort of where the inner world and the outer world, to me, come together. If you, you have to work on yourself so you ne never hate, you don't get angry, you, you more often than not are able to have love for everyone. You're, you're not a racist. You're not a sexist. You, you don't care about whether somebody is tall or short. You just <laughs> love them all equally. And, and that's what he taught us. And we're all not there. <laughs> Every one of us is just not there, but we're trying. Yeah. And if we don't try to do that, how much harder is it for the world to, to do that? Thank you. That was exactly what I think. And, and I loved hearing it from you. Yeah, we have a way to go. But it is the work that we're here to do. And this situation has shown us how much more work we've got to do on it. Yeah. Have, how have you, um, how have you kept hope alive? How have you kept positive um, during, and I know that often you've been, you have delivered some of the like most frightening news on CNN or somewhere. And then, but I could tell that you also uh, were holding it in a way that was um, where you had hope and you had a kind of, you know, going forward in a, in a, positive or at the very least uh with a lot of equanimity how how have you personally like kept that all together during this time well to the extent that i have <laughs> i should have said that <laughs> not always always <laughs> um you know i've um uh, about six months ago i started uh because to be an epidemiologist in the middle of a pandemic means that the the phone rings a lot and and the inbox is uh, impossible to read. Um, but I started uh, doing um, talks at all the spiritual and religious communities that I could. So I, I talked last week at uh, Grace Cathedral and. Um, I speak spoken to African American uh, religious groups and Sufis and Buddhists and Hindus and synagogues and um, uh, I've, I've spoken with a lot of Muslim groups, trying to speak to every religious community that I can. And um, first, I think we will never solve a pandemic, uh, just as we couldn't solve smallpox without the religious community. I've been speaking to a lot of uh, evangelical Christians because I wonder, what the hell are they thinking? But <laughs> but where are they? I mean, when, when you and I marched in the 60s and 
I remember getting arrested with Martin Luther King, which was, of course, the peak experience of my life until I met Maharaji. But that that, that march always began um, at the Methodist or Baptist church, and then we stopped at at lunch for uh, for lunch with the, the synagogue, and in the evening we had a cup of wine with the Jesuits. I mean, it was it was like a movable feast of all the different religions in order to do a march for human rights. That religious community is absent. It is not a powerful and important role playing organization world in the pandemic. And we need them more than ever. And and I started doing it as a method of counteracting the anti-vax movement and getting people to understand why public health meant all of us. But shocker, <laughs> I got a lot more out of it than I gave. Surprise. Um, it, it's just a wonderful community to talk about hard things with. Um, like at, at Grace Cathedral uh, or doing something with Rabbi Sidney Mintz or, or hanging out with the Zen Buddhists, um, hanging out with our satsang, um, talking about what would Maharaji say. Um, it, 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 it is the peace which path of understanding. Um, I have found so many Christian communities that are appalled by the, I don't know, it seems like the sort of the, uh, the merger of uh, the anti-vax movement with QAnon and some of the megachurches. It, it, it isn't just us that feel that something's amiss. And for me, being able to talk to those communities has been really terrific. I, I think, you know, Girij and I are, are thinking about in two years moving into a, a village called Enzo Village. It is a Zen Buddhist inspired village. Um, it has a, a Zendo and a swimming pool <laughs> and a greens restaurant. And it's run by Quakers. So, of course, it's attracted tons of Jews and uh, Hindu Buddhists. <laughs> um, maybe I think it's the greens restaurant and the swim pool more than the Zendo, but it doesn't matter. But it, it once again reminds me of this delicious world of uh, ecumenicism and um, and how important it is that what Maharishi said sub ek when he was talking about all roads lead to God is true. It's it's practically true, not just aspirationally true. I think that's where people say that when I get on CNN, I'm I'm calm. I may not always feel calm, <laughs> <laughs> but I I I I know I am calm. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, I think it comes from, from that. Wow, Larry, that, I love hearing that. And, you know, it reminded me that some years ago, oh, in the nineties, I think, um, Paul Gorman was at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine then, and along with Carl Sagan and Al Gore, they started exactly. the National Religious Partnership for the Environment. And it sounds like really what we need now would be a national religious partnership for public health. That's, I hadn't even thought about that, but you yeah. made that pretty clear. Yeah. That's, that's... Mm. 
and some of the people from that world, uh, uh, Jim Ball and um, Richard Sysak, and they continue to this day. Um, um, uh, Bob Inglis, a four-time right-wing uh, conservative Christian mm. um, congressman from South Carolina, is of that. That, that he he came out of that. He trying to find a Republican solution to climate change. Yeah, yeah. That if we want to solve the schism that was nascent uh, before, but has been nurtured and fed and split apart in the Trump era, so. Uh, so harmfully, we need to find uh, people who think differently, are of a different faith, um, and we need to find common cause. And that, that's that's a great idea. Uh, public health should not be a, um, a wholly owned subsidiary of any religion, any specific <laughs> religion. It it has the word public and the word health in it. That's not a bad start. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know you have a hard stop, as you say, in five minutes, but I have to ask you this. Why is humor important in all of this? Um, I think it's because if you don't have an outlet for the pressure cooker, mm. you wind up with your beans on the ceiling. Or as Wavy Gravy says, <laughs> if you don't have a, a sense of humor, it's just not funny anymore. <laughs> I, I tell you, but we just got we just got yesterday. Uh, oh, we could show it to you. We just got yesterday a two-volume um, uh, history of uh, the Sixteenth Karmapa. Oh, we loved and uh, I saw when your chapter Maharshi, when you really uh, died. Did you see the chapter? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, you, uh, when when we were asked about him, we constantly remember how many times he giggled. He was always giggling. Karmapa was always giggling, mm. and so was Maharaji, always giggling. Yes. And the Pope is always giggling. I, I don't think giggling makes you the Pope or the Karmapa or Neem Kroli Baba, but it is interesting that when you get there, you giggle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's really important. <laughs> Find find me find me an advanced spiritual teacher who doesn't have a sense of humor. You got to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Larry, thank you so much. Really, I'm I'm going to start yet another something so I can get another hour with you. No, this has really been really been so sweet. Thank you. I love you, Mirabai. I I love you too. My family loves you. We miss. <laughs> I know. Uh, this morning, CDC put out guidance for people who have been vaccinated, and they said, in essence, it's time now to find somebody you love who's been vaccinated and hug them. That's not the exact words, of course, they use. That's my translation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be first in line, <laughs> and I want to get my hair cut. <laughs> get your hair cut and come visit out here you I'm know california to. is open for you <laughs> <laughs> oh dear thank you so much and, and, and by yeah. uh, walking each other home is a, it's a precious gem 
your book is a precious gem. Uh, all the things that you touch um, shine with love. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you for all the and work I told you've you that done. I stole that from Christian Mass. Mm-hmm. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I took it right off the pad. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> if he, he, I'm worried he's going to come right to get it back. I love you. I love you. Ram Ram. Ram Ram forever. <laughs>